0: I'm Ben, and I just became a gay uncle. I'm Tommy, and I've been Ben's gay uncle for 30 years. Are you ready for a double dose of gay uncle magic? Buckle up. Ask your gay uncle, ask your gay uncle. Ask your gay uncle, ask your gay uncle. Ask your gay uncle, ask your gay uncle. Ask ask him all the questions that you have in your brain. Ask your gay uncle, you know that your uncle will do his very best to explain do his very best to explain
1: I've been staying up too late these days and my question for you is what can I do to get myself to bed at a good hour what does a good hour mean to you like what would be your goal My goal, get to bed at 10 o'clock and then like lie in bed and read for an hour. And what would be your goal of waking up? Sometime around 7. And are you currently waking up at 7 o'clock? Depending on how long Lucy the bloody wart dog can hold off her pee. (laughs) Well, and this is going to be a hard one for you because you go
0: to bed late. I do go to bed late, but... I was just thinking back to my rowing days when I was on the opposite schedule. When I was a rower in college for three years, I had to wake up at like 5 a.m. Or even like 4.50 at times. I think we had to be like be on the bus at 5 a.m. <laughs> and you gave yourself a full 10 minutes to get to the bus. Seriously, I would go to bed in my rowing clothes so I could just wake <laughs> up. I would. I'm not kidding, Tommy. So I could just wake up, roll out of bed. And if you missed that bus, you had like eight angry rowers pounding on your dorm room door. You know, like a four-person boat with only three people in it doesn't balance. So you slept in spandex? Yes. And there were, <laughs> there were times when I wouldn't shower and I would sleep in the same spandex for like two, three practices in a row. Wow. I was very busy during college. Yeah, yeah. But all this to say, because I was waking up at 4.50 in the morning for fear of rowers pounding down my door, <laughs> I just naturally fell asleep at like 10 p.m. So maybe that's something to try. Right. Set that alarm. Get out of your bed at 5 a.m. Otherwise, how can you expect your body to want to go to sleep at 10 p.m.? Yeah. You know, I mean, a part of it is I don't have to get out of bed at 5 in the morning. Well, you also don't have to go to bed at 10 p.m. So my question for you is, why do you care? Like, what's wrong with being a night owl? Why don't you just like bask in that? Okay, so we're entering into the world of Ayurveda. By we, do you mean you? Is this the royal we? Yeah, the royal we. Um, We? So you're starting Ayurveda, and Ayurveda is telling you for some reason you you, you can't be a night owl. Well,
1: because of who I am, my dosha, and your dosha is similar, right? It's like, are you Pitta Kapha or Okay, hold on, hold on,
0: hold on. Zoom out. What is a dosha?
1: A dosha, well, it's like... um, Is dosha like your sassy best friend? Dosha is like that angry drag queen bitch.
0: Hi, guys, I'm dosha. What's up? What's up? What's up?
1: What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? 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 A dosha, there are three doshas. They are body types. And there are certain foods and certain things that are good for each of the doshas. And if you're eating things that don't fit with your dosha, then you're going to get an imbalance. You're
0: smiling. You want to make a joke. I just keep, every time you say dosha, I like think it's like your friend's name, like Marsha. Marsha. Dosha, dosha, dosha. And then like you just have this overbearing friend who like tries to control what you eat. (laughs) (laughs) I do. Fuck off, dosha. It's cheat
1: day. (laughs) Okay. My dosha says it's good for me to go to bed at 10 o'clock. And if you don't go to bed around 10 o'clock, then you're going to get a second wind. And that's what happens to me. And so I stay up, and then I get a second win, and I'm like, bam, all right, let's just work on that grant, or whatever it is. And then it's one thirty or 2, and I'm like, ah, walk Lucy.
0: you hate yourself, go to bed. Okay, is this a question of willpower? Is it like, does Tommy have the willpower to force himself to go to bed <sighs> at 10 p.m.? In the same way that you'd be like, I wish I was working out more. Why don't I go on a run every morning? And it's like, just fucking go on a run. Or is it like there's too much stuff in your day and you literally have to stay up later?
1: Yeah, I think willpower is it. So, okay, here's the next question.
0: This is part two. How do you strengthen your willpower? Do you have good willpower, Ben? I have excellent willpower. Yeah. I don't know that kind of stuff comes easy to me being like oh I'm gonna do this because it's the right choice for my body or for whatever that that stuff tends to be easy for me and some of it is just like perspective like what are you really losing by staying up two hours later and waking up two hours later you're not actually losing sleep that's true you know it's not like you're losing the same thing you'd be losing if you were to like go on a bender and, like, eat a couple Big Macs and four pints of Ben and Jerry's. Like, you would feel awful for for the next 24 hours. I think keeping in perspective, like, what the consequences are, and you're a pretty responsible person, I think maybe one of the reasons why you're staying up a little later is because you understand that there aren't really any consequences to it. You're not going to miss work the next day because you don't have an early job. Right. So part of me is like, Like, viva la vida, baby. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, just like live.
1: Right. But I do admire in other people that sense of, like Steve, you know, Steve, my ex, he would go to bed the same time every night and he would wake up like at five in the morning and he would do his yoga and he would take the dogs for a walk and it worked really well for him. And so I'm, you know, I think maybe what's going on in my mind is, well, my life would be better if I had
0: routine. Tommy, Steve. But that could be dosha Dosha talking. (laughs) Dosha's just like sitting on your shoulder like the little devil being like, you should be more like your ex Steve. (laughs) So Steve was a creature of habit and that works for him. Clearly. It comes naturally to him. Clearly. Yeah. He likes it, obviously. And you're not you're like a creative cat and you like live in the wind and like what is your what is your fucking like radical fairy name it's called it's wind or yeah like, like yeah. windy windy fart boy or something What is that? <laughs> it's wind right it is okay so you like literally are like a creature of the wind you've always been like that like you would just like breeze into my childhood for like three weeks and live at our house and like teach us all these dances and we'd like run around the house and pretend to be animals and then you just like breeze out the window one day and I'd see you like six months later and you'd just be like my magic glitter uncle and that's part of who you are and if you were steve and you did that same thing where you always went to bed at the same time and you always woke up and you always did your this and you always did what your dosha told you to do you would be losing all of these other wonderful parts of you i don't know if that's true ben
1: if we flip that around that says the reason why i am a free spirit is because i am (laughs) You know, unstable is not the right word. I don't adhere to rules because I do things my own way. Because you
0: live in the moment and you're inspired by what's around you. Okay, I'm just going to say yes, you're right. And shut up. You you gave you gave me some good advice and I need to actually just fucking accept it. I, you've got two options. Number one is absolve yourself from this like dosha notion that you need to <laughs> go to bed early and wake up early. My dosha notion, because fuck that girl. And number two is, if it really matters to you, do it. Try this. Commit. Be like be like for the next seven days. Mm. I'm gonna force myself to get in bed, and that way at least you know that there's like an ending. And just see see if it actually helps you. Yeah. I love that. I love that piece of advice.
1: I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it for two weeks, because I think a week is not quite long enough. And hey everybody, tune in in two weeks, and you'll find out. I may be yawning through the whole episode.
0: The generation gap, the generation gap. Oh, 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 the generation gap. My three questions are all related. <gasps> so are mine. Oh really? Okay, good. So the year 2000. 2000- i'm already in trouble (laughs) no you will have heard of all these things the year 2000 it was a really interesting time for women in film because i know you just made a face because we were at this like transition period and we were straddling these two worlds we were just leaving behind the kind of like old hollywood version of just like women only exist in movies to be objectified And as sexual objects. And we were entering this new world of like women empowerment and women can actually be real human characters and they can lead movies and they can do all these other things. So the year 2000 and 2001 saw all of these movies that like straddled these two worlds and somehow managed to have like female objectification as well as female empowerment and strength in one movie. So, that's what, all of the, that's what all of my questions are around. And I'm going to play you some movie quotes. And you're going to tell me what movie they're from. Knowing that they all came out at the year 2000. And they're about female objectification as well as female empowerment. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Describe
2: your perfect date. That's a tough one. <laughs> um, I'd have to say April 25th. Because it's not too hot, not too cold. All you need is a light jacket.
1: <laughs> it's the the beauty pageant one, uh, and she's the detective, and she's having to be. I want to say Sarah Bernhardt, but that's not it because that's an old time actress. Sarah, fuck.
0: Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock.
1: Thank you, S B.
0: Yeah. What was the name of that movie? It's the beauty pageant. Yeah. Unexpected. I'll beauty. give it to you. Miss Congeniality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm actually going to do all three in a row, now that we're on this bend. Okay, great. Go. The next one is another movie. This time, uh, it's another movie about a competition. It's full of sassy, strong women, and it also came out the year 2000.
2: I transferred from Los Angeles. Your school has no gymnastics team. This is a last resort.
0: Is it Bring It On? Yes, wow, good. Okay, but keep keep listening. This part is so good.
2: Bankrupt? We've already so decided on Jamie. <laughs> Courtney, this is not a democracy. It's a cheerocracy. I'm sorry, but I'm overruling you. You are being a cheer tater, Torrance, and a pain in my ass.
0: <laughs> so good. It's just so dumb and so good.
1: <sighs> well, it's a great movie because it's these girls who are being snarky, bitchy, and strong and powerful yeah. and also having their integrity. Yeah, yeah.
0: And then it also kind of makes fun of itself, too, which is why there's an irreverence. It's a great movie. Okay, so here's one final movie from the year 2000 with, you guessed it, a strong, beautiful female lead.
2: Exactly. Because isn't it the first cardinal rule of perm maintenance that you're forbidden to wet your hair for at least 24 hours after getting a perm? At the risk of deactivating the ammonium thioglycolate?
3: yes and wouldn't
2: somebody who's had say 30 perms before in their life be well aware of this rule
0: you know
1: it um i want to say it's not clueless How would you feel it's if your made um it's, it's the blonde know? movie it's I've like dirty blondes like it's not it's
2: After you shot your father i didn't mean to shoot him
1: pretty it's in pink you. um is, a... is that it pretty in pink no order order oh. it's oh shit She's the lawyer. She's after her boyfriend. She goes to the school, gets sexually harassed
0: by one of the professors, and yeah, you got the whole plot. It's *Legally Blonde*. I'll give it to you because you got the whole fucking
1: plot. Yes.
0: I feel like I could write like a fucking thesis about this, like phenomenon of like literally all these movies came out the year two thousand and the year two thousand and one. Another one was um, the *Charlie's Angels* reboot with Lucy Liu and Drew Barrymore apparently america was just like hungry for highly beautiful objectified yet also brilliant strong women at that time cool
1: okay here are my three okay um how
0: many tv networks were there when i was growing up Ooh. you mean like like main networks like channels like back when tvs were like literally just channels and each network was its own channel yeah 10 because there were maybe like 10 channels on a tv Less, less, yeah, like five. Less, three, yeah. Let me guess what they were: CBS, uh huh, NBC, uh huh, and ABC. Yeah,
1: that was it. Wow. Next one, who said, "And that's the way it is," and this person said it every single night.
0: It must have been a news anchor. It must. Have, you say night, so it must have been a, a host of some night show. Uh huh uh
1: and he was considered the most trusted man in america in 1972
0: the most trusted man in america in 1970 considered by who but okay and that's the way it is that's so just like vanilla he must have been super vanilla he was a news anchor yeah yeah fucking news anchors from the early 70s tommy this is so mean <laughs> 1962 until
1: 1981 uh, and dan rather took over for him
0: i don't even know who dan rather is i wasn't born until 1989 tommy <laughs>
1: <laughs> really yes walter cronkite walter cronkite
0: i've never heard that name in my life the
1: number one news anchor for almost 20 years
0: and that's the way it is
1: all right so same time period and Walter Cronkite certainly reported on this
0: particular person who said, I am not a crook. Oh, oh, that was Nixon. Yeah. With his like, like peace signs in each hand. I am not a crook. Yeah. Yeah. That was Watergate. That was, yeah, I know that.
1: The second I said that,
0: I knew that you were going to
1: know it because your dad always says that.
0: My dad does. always. say Why does my dad he say does. that? That's so weird.
1: I don't know. He does. I am not a crook. People have got to know whether or not their
3: president is a crook. Well, I'm not a crook lightning round, lightning
0: round. speed time no fast questions let's go all right what's your first one what length and style of haircut looks best on me Ben I want to cut my hair but I'm wondering if I really should don't cut your hair you have gorgeous hair and my favorite Tommy hair is like long shoulder length bouncy like auburn red curls Yeah, but I'm fucking 59 years old. I look like an
1: old hippie who's trying to look younger. So, can't you just own it? Okay,
0: I guess so. (laughs)
1: Okay, go. You're
0: next. Okay. When cooking, what is your favorite secret ingredient? Favorite? I think tahini. Tahini and sometimes brewer's yeast. Wait, what do you use tahini in?
1: Um, I always put tahini. Wait, tahini. Tamari. Tamari, not tahini. Oh, tahini's good. Wait, what am I saying? <laughs> Fuck, where's my brain? Tahini, tamari. Okay, you say tahini and I say tamari. So, tamari. I use tamari. In, <laughs> I use tamari in um salad dressings all the time. Okay, I don't I don't
0: know what tamari is. Is it a spice? Tamari is like, no, t- uh, you don't know what tamari is? No. You're you're a fucking vegan. It just sounds like you're saying tomorrow wrong. (laughs) I know. Tamari is like the hippie version of soy sauce. Oh, oh, I do know what it is. It it tastes almost exactly like soy sauce. Yeah, yeah. And you use tamari in sauces and dressings and it just like adds an extra flavor profile. Yeah, absolutely. Do you ever use tamari and tahini simultaneously? Absolutely. Do you ever make a tamari tahini martini? (laughs) Okay, my favorite secret ingredients are Layu sesame chili oil, which you can't find in normal grocery stores, uh, but you can find it in like specialized like East Asian grocery stores. It's so good. Just a couple drops in like any dish really or like on a sandwich or anything. It adds this like delicious like sesame depth to it and then just like a little pinch of spice. It's mm. so good. And then the other thing is you can get it at Trader Joe's is called TJ's Everything But the Bagel Seasoning. Huh. It's basically everything that's on and everything bagel. So like oh. dried onion flakes, sesame, poppy seeds, salt, pepper, garlic, and you just you just like shake it on and makes everything taste so
1: good. Yeah, that sounds great. Okay. So explain to me what I'm going to say it wrong, so this is what I need. I need an example of how to say, like, ooh, drop the mic. Like, I don't even know. Like, I need, the, I need the historical context of that. And I don't even know how to
0: say it. Like, I wouldn't know how to put it in a sentence. What does it mean when someone says, drop the mic? Or what does a mic drop? What does that represent, is what you're asking? Yeah, and when do
1: you say it? Ooh, she dropped the mic. Is that right?
0: Yeah, Yeah. Is yeah. that how you would say it? I mean, like, kind of, yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. I did it <laughs> pathetically. So according to Wikipedia, a mic drop is the gesture of intentionally dropping one's microphone at the end of a performance or speech to signal triumph. So I need it in context. So in context. Like that meal, that meal was a mic drop. No. So here's the, here's the origin of it. The gesture became prevalent. Ooh, interestingly, in the 1980s, your time, Tommy, when it was really? used by rappers and comedians eddie murphy did it in his stand-up show delirious oh the first recorded mic drop was by judy garland on a 1965 episode of the ed sullivan show was she so drunken on drugs that she just dropped the mic or was it a conscious? no i think it was like an intentional like i just finished and i rocked it so i'm gonna drop the mic oh that's cool look at that judy garland there's a little yeah. queer history a little quistery for you President Obama performed a mic drop on the late night with Jimmy Fallon show, Kobe Bryant. There's there's been many mic drops. So it's more of like you see it and do it as opposed to say it. You can say it. Like let's say, let's say somebody just said or did something, one of your friends maybe, let's say Dosha just like said or did something that she feels was triumphant and she is acting like she just fucking won the room. Right. And she's like doing all the movements and she's like, that's right. I got it. You can be like, all right, Dosha, I see you dropping that mic or something like that. Uh huh. I wouldn't use it if you don't feel comfortable using it, but if you're actually holding a mic and you brought down the house and you just fucking rocked your monologue or your performance or whatever, drop the fucking mic. But don't because the sound guys will get really mad at you. (laughs) Okay, uh, so my last one is: What is the song that had the greatest impact on your life?
1: It's a classical piece of music. It's it's the Carmina Burana by Carl Orff, and I remember listening to that um, as a kid uh, with my mom, with Susie, and and then i remember like dancing to it and then i remember hearing Mm. it live and then my parents performed at one time and you know so i have a lot of associations it like kept popping up in your childhood oh yeah
0: oh yeah wait 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 hold on i'm gonna pull it up i want to hear a little bit of it what is it called carmina barana b-u-r carmina and barana are dosha's best friends
1: (laughs) oh my god they are some serious bitches those two
0: Oh fuck yeah. Yeah. I love that you love this as a child. <laughs> Descending into the like seven levels of hell. Oh yeah. It's collections
1: of body and licentious um texts that monks wrote. Did you just and say licentious? What does that uh-huh. word mean? <laughs> licentious. Um salacious. Oh. Okay. Dirty. Dirty.
0: This is so cool. Bar-us, bar-us, dosha, dosha, go to totally. sleep now. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, mine is the song Hallelujah, as recorded by Rufus Wainwright in the movie Shrek. For mm. some reason, just like stuck out to me. And... I had been taking piano lessons and I liked playing piano, but it, for some reason when I heard that song as recorded by Rufus Wainwright and the piano track in it, which is like so simple and like emotional and supports the lyrics so well. I must have been like a freshman in high school and I learned it. I sat down at the piano and I learned it. And it was like the first time I like chose a piece myself to learn. I still play it to this day. I used to play it with my girlfriend in high school and she would sing and i would play and then we actually did another version recently where we went to my high school and we sat down at one of the pianos and we recorded ourselves doing it as a duet Ooh, yeah. well, your faith was strong but you needed proof you saw her bathing on the roof her beauty and the moonlight you to the kitchen chair she broke your throne and she cut your hair and from your lips she drew the hallelujah hallelujah that for some reason and the song is just so beautiful and i just feel like it's like timeless and it's weirdly it's like a song that everybody knows you know if, it's, if everybody's singing songs around the guitar or on the piano at a party and you say hey does anybody know hallelujah everybody lights up mm. and even if you don't know it it's like easy and repetitive and it just makes everybody feel so good hallelujah <laughs> our lightning round. Zip zap. Quickie quickie. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Go ahead and ask your gay uncle.
2: Hey, it's your friendly neighborhood producer, Jackie. We hope you're enjoying Ask Your Gay Uncle. If you'd like to ask a question for Tommy and Ben to answer on the podcast, leave us a message at 512-981-7332 or you can email ask at askyourgayuncle.com. You can find us on Instagram at AskYourGayUncle or Twitter at podcast. It's Gunkle of
0: the Week. This Sunday, August 9th, is International Gay Uncles Day. If you didn't know, now you do. And our Gunkle of the Week is none other than the man who popularized International Gay Uncles Day, Mr. Simon Dunn. And he's here with us today. Thank you for having me on.
3: It's a pleasure to be here, I guess.
0: (laughs) Good. So uh, you are an Australian ex-national team bobsled athlete. You're a rugby player, writer, advocate for LGBT rights and HIV awareness. You've been partnered for a few years now and you're a gay uncle. Is is there anything we missed? I think that
3: sums myself up.
1: Do you happen to be a pet owner?
3: Unfortunately not. Um, Moving around the world uh over the last seven years has made it really difficult to have any kind of a pet because generally they would just either get lumped with a friend or my mother and she isn't too keen on the idea understandable i often joke to her now because i'd really like a dog just to take for runs and that kind of stuff and i'm like if i end up leaving will you take it she's like no she's she's an old woman and has no time to babysit
1: so you are the person who has popularized the idea of gay uncle's day and what is being a gunkle been like for you?
3: Um, so for me, it's, it's probably one of the proudest things I've ever done. I always say I want to be the person that my nieces and nephews think I am. Because um, they, they, they really do look up to me ever since I were little. Before I bobsledded or before I went overseas, before I traveled, they, they saw me as this person. And as long as I can strive to be that person, then that, I think that's what being a gunkle is, is just being the person, best person you can be for them.
1: Awesome. What are some ingredients for you that make, you know, a good gay uncle or the kind of gay uncle that you want to be?
3: You want to be the first person that they feel comfortable going to. My my oldest, my niece and nephews, they're fifteen now, and they're at the age where, when if they're having an argument with their parents, they'll message me and ask for advice. So being a gay uncle is basically just being there for them. Yeah. It's also good because you can hand them back. At the end of the day, it's not like you're stuck. With, it's not like my sister who's stuck with them twenty four seven. I'm I can give the advice and then I can go out drinking. Unfortunately, their parents don't have that option.
0: Best of both worlds. Exactly. (laughs) So growing up, did you have a gay uncle?
3: Unfortunately not. Um, Both my uncles are very straight rugby playing men. My family were never as close as I am with my niece and nephews. And I feel like it's because of straight families. My uncles, for example, they got wives. They had their own kids. They had their own worlds to worry about. Whereas being a gay uncle, this is my family. I don't have my own kids to distract me from trying to be the best I can for them. Um, but I think a gay uncle would have been great just to for the advice on the gay world, to be honest, because I'm sure as both of you are aware, the second you enter the gay world, it's not all rainbows and starry nights and fun and games. It, it's, it can be tough.
0: Tell, tell us more about that. How was that for you?
3: Uh, so for me coming out, it was a bit of a struggle. I was originally kicked out of home. I lost my rope like, in sport. I ended up leaving sport completely. I had led myself to believe that gay men couldn't play sport, um, had no one there to tell me otherwise. And so I just believed what society had entwined into my psyche.
1: And so you you said you stopped playing rugby. So it seems like you had been playing a lot before that. Because is that because of your uncles or just because Australia or...
3: I've played rugby league since I was four. It's just entwined in our culture to play sport. It's all you ever see. So from four until 16, I'd, every Saturday was spent in cold, chasing an oval-shaped ball around the field. So for me, when I ended up losing, that, the one thing I'd known, it was probably the hardest part of coming out was wasn't that I wasn't accepted by my family. It was that the place I went to for enjoyment and all my friends and stuff didn't accept me. Hmm
0: if you had had a gay uncle, how, how do you think that would have changed your life? Like, what would you have uh, asked them about?
3: Um, it would have been good just to have someone there to, like, it does get better, which is very very stereotypical, the whole it gets better thing, but it's the most obvious advice that at the time you don't believe. As a teenager, for example, you get so entwined in your mentality that being a gay man is and coming out, being kicked out of home, for example, is the end of the world? How can you see yourself living a happy life if you have the game called there to see that it? This is exactly what you can achieve. This is what you can do if you have that person who's a role model to guide you. That in itself is what will change the outcome of your life.
1: How did you go from rugby into bobsledding?
3: I got back into rugby at twenty-four. Yeah, um, and it was a big shock because it brought back my passion but it was also like oh, oh shit i haven't played rugby <laughs> for six years and now i'm playing in sydney against these massive islanders who are all 120 kilos and here i am at 80 83 at the time and just getting destroyed but i still had that passion and drive to go as far as i could in rugby so i moved to canada um, because i just picked the lowest common denominator no i'm joking um <laughs> and i played two games there and the first game i had received a red card within the first five minutes because their style of rugby is different to suburban rugby in, in Sydney. It's a lot more gentle.
1: They're Canadians.
3: Yeah, they're, they're very soft. They apologise after they tackle you.
0: Sorry, sorry. <laughs> did, did,
3: did I hurt you? Um, my second game, I had scored three tries in the first 10 minutes, but after I was just gassed. I couldn't run. had done nothing the rest of the game. But then after the game, this guy was like, you have no skill. Like, you shit. And he goes, you're fast and you're strong. And that guy ended up being the pilot for the Australian team at Sochi. who had just gotten back from the Olympics. And he talks me into to training and trying out for the Australian bobsleigh team.
1: So what are you doing physically these days?
3: Um, so I still play rugby, um, although I've retired three times from the sport rugby's like like crack apparently if you once you try you can never stop i even had a cover of a magazine here in australia to say that i'd retired and every time the season pre-season training comes around you seem to find yourself down having a run and so <laughs> it looks like it looks like i'm in for another season you
1: kind of sound like Cher, who's doing her you know her final tour again
3: yeah I've got, i have a few more games left in me i don't know about seasons but i have a few more games good
0: it's nice to see you're still going
3: Say that to my soul tired body.
0: <laughs> so um, you've been pretty open about how social media keeps our focus on like the success and the glamour. You mentioned in a post last September about the abs, photo shoots, parties, successes. That's a quote. <laughs> and, uh, you know, saying that it's not always as it seems. Uh, that's something that I personally struggle with, too, with social media. How have you found balance with that? Do you have any advice?
3: Well, I think... We- we're in a day and age where we are so connected to everybody in the world and all the people that, for example, Instagram that you see with all the followers, they seem to be having these great successes. They seem to be having great bodies. Everything seems to be going well for them. Even though we know that that's the best picture they're putting forward, we still like to compare our lives to what they're showing us. And even with myself, I, I've always tried to be really open on my social media. I've tested live on our YouTube HIV and and I've talked about uh, my anxiety, my depression, my coming out and everything. And I just, at that time I was super low and I felt that I wasn't trained or anything. I was just drinking. I was using old photo shoot photos and I just knew I wasn't being honest about it. So what I, when I put that post up, it was just about trying to show people that just because you don't think your life is going well because everyone else's is, that is what they're putting forward and that you need to not compare yourself to people who are only showing a small part of who they are and I think we still do that today. And the world is in a current pandemic and nobody's doing well, but people are only showing that they are. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a, that's a prime example of what social media is.
0: It's so ingrained in yeah. like our public performance.
3: People are comparing followers and likes and, but yet people are out there dying. We, we, should, we should stop comparing ourselves against others and just start focusing on being the best that we can individually. Has
0: that changed like how you post or how you present yourself on social media?
3: It has. I, I still try and be very open in social media and interviews like this, for example. I'm not going to sugarcoat my life because I don't want people to think that I've just had this rise to the national team and that everything's been a success because it hasn't. It's like everybody. It's a, it's a series of ups and downs to get to that success. Um, so I still try and be very honest.
1: I'm curious around you saying that you went to this place of having a sense of honesty around social media. And what, difference came up for you?
3: When I first started to get a public profile, wanted to be as honest as I could. I always wanted to be the out gay athlete. I wanted to share my experiences being an athlete, coming out as a gay man. And it wasn't until I started to, when I came back here and I felt like I'd lost everything that I had started to get anxiety and depression, that I started to get the feeling that I was covering up what exactly I was going through. And I think in turn that made me feel worse because I was lying. Similar to when you haven't come out yet, you you feel worse not being out because you have to spend more energy on hiding the fact that you're gay. So I was spending more energy and time on the fact that I was going through hell at the time. I was crying myself to sleep some nights. I felt like I'd lost everything. My partner was overseas. I had gone from representing Australia, living in London to sleeping in my mum's spare room in Goulburn. And you won't know, but that's a sheep farming town in the middle of New South Wales. So I started to expend more energy on, hiding, how I was feeling. And when I do my post, it was a picture of me drinking a beer and I was about 10 kilos heavier of just pizza and beer weight. And, but when I did post it was about 600 comments of people saying that they appreciated the honesty, which in turn lifted that weight off my shoulder of having to hide. So that little period of hiding who I was probably did more damage for me emotionally than when I was honest.
0: That's such a great lesson.
1: You have obviously overcome a lot of obstacles that you've experienced. What's your advice on how to overcome obstacles?
3: For me, I always try and find the silver lining. Hmm. Because you you always, whenever you come up to an obstacle, you always see it as a negative. But regardless of what an obstacle is, there's always going to be some way or something that could be turned into a positive. Um, So if you're looking for that silver lining, then you will see this obstacle is actually a lesson or you can gain something else from it rather than just seeing it as something you need to overcome.
1: Right, like it's an opportunity, even though it may be slogging through mud, it still is an opportunity.
3: There's always going to be a reason why you can benefit from it. Even for me coming back here and having to sleep in my mom's spare room in the middle of nowhere, I am now back in Sydney and my partner's here full time and even though we're kind of locked in, but there's still positives that have come out of them. home. I've spent more time with my niece and nephews. So there's so many more things that have become that have come positive out of at that time i perceived as just all negatives
0: Hmm. and you're that much stronger as a result
3: for it too exactly but don't get me wrong i I would still like to be living the high life in in london but i'm here in sydney and my bedroom overlooks the harbor so not too shabby not too shabby it's only a tiny little bit of the harbor but still i can see water
0: that's there's that silver lining for you exactly (laughs) so uh You do a lot of activism for LGBTQ rights and HIV awareness. You're on Twitter and you're on Instagram promoting all these different organizations you're working with. It's really impressive. Uh, What are you championing these days?
3: Recently, I've become the ambassador for two charitable organizations in in Sydney. Um, One of them is Give Out Day, which I know you guys have in the US. Give Out Day is an umbrella charitable day where big companies will match dollar for dollar um, donations a lot of the large organizations are the ones who will get a lot of that funding because they're in the public eye But there's grassroots levels, charities out there slugging away, still doing great jobs, but they don't have the marketing budgets to promote, mm. to promote or all those kinds of things. So that's what give out days is, it is a, a day for those smaller organizations to be able to get donations. And I'm also an ambassador for a charity here called the Bobby Goldsmith Foundation. Um, I'm really looking forward to working with this one because it's, they're going to give me the chance to be a bit more hands-on helping people living with HIV AIDS. there has been several times I've fronted a campaign or I've, but it's, it's easy to be on a poster or it's easy to do a video, but with them, they're, they're going to allow me to get out and work amongst the community and actually give my own time.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And we'll include links, uh, like below in the description of the podcast for give out and the Bobby Goldsmith foundation.
3: That'd be great. Thank you. Totally.
0: Well, Ask Your Gay Uncle is an advice podcast. And this is the time of the interview where we invite you to ask us for advice on anything you're
3: struggling with. Uh, What would your advice be for people trying to get through the next six months of coronavirus and just mental health? um, How we can get through that as, as gay men who generally have a higher risk of depression, suicide, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, and those kind of things. And obviously our coping mechanisms are... So what would your advice be for people in the next six months with that? There we go. Tough one. That's
1: a good one. That is a tough one. My advice is to know that when trying to connect via the Internet or phone or something that is not literally right there that you can hold, you are not going to be able to get everything that you want. And so I think the desire is, is to then, and I'm speaking for myself, like I can go on Facebook and I'm like, I'm on Facebook, I'm with people, yay. I'm gonna go on YouTube, I'm with people, yay. I'm gonna do a Zoom, yay. And then I'm off and I'm like, and I'm still lonely. I'm still by myself. So let's go back on and I'm gonna call my sister or I'll talk to Ben, you know? And then I'm off and I'm like, and I'm still by myself. The short answer of that is like, don't try and get blood out of a turnip, right? Like just know that I'm not going to get that one thing that I really, really do want and that I have to somehow provide that for myself, right? And so I need to be okay with spending time just with me by myself. And that's
0: hard work. How about you, Ben? Um, I very early on in quarantine, me and a very small group of friends decided to kind of create this like little quarantine family. And we said like, look, the five of us are gonna get together and we're not gonna see anybody else. And we're going to like play games every night and we're gonna hang out and we're gonna watch movies. And it was going so well. And then after like two and a half weeks, I was like, I'm so tired of my quarantine family. I can't handle it. And I had to take a break from them. But just having that as an option, being able to be like, like, great, let's go on a hike. Let's go do this thing together. It was so helpful. So um, I think that's that would be my advice is to like get a group of friends together, get tested, figure out who your quarantine family is and and just like lean into them because we all need that right now. We really need that.
3: Yeah, I definitely agree. I think for me, the, the biggest thing that helped me was um, just walking to work, getting out of the house, seeing that there are people out there. I think that helped. That was my biggest cue to feeling better about the whole situation, actually being able to get out to the sun on your face.
1: Like the metaphor of this is it's like winter, you know, it's hibernation, go inside. And, and there is something like I go to nature, there's something cyclical that will happen here. And we're not at the end of it, we're at the beginning of it, and so, I think it's just like to acknowledge and honor. It's like, OK, I'm going inside and it's just going to be, you know, the beginning of the metamorphosis, right? This is just the first few steps of this this chrysalis that is happening, you know, and, and if we look at it that way, then we're taking your advice. Simon, of like find this silver lining. It's like, oh, right. OK, so I, I get to actually go in and nurture me and just be connected to
0: myself. Mm. I do think that years down the line, after all this is over, when we think back and remember it, yes, we will remember the hard parts of it, and of course we'll remember our friends and family members who got COVID and passed away. And my grandmother passed away a couple months ago. Tommy's mother, and uh, of course we're going to remember all those, all those elements of it. But I also think we're gonna, we're gonna remember like the growth that was like inspired in all of us and and like you said that those silver lining moments when things get hard it like forces you to be different and get creative and develop something new or even just learn something about yourself and i do feel like in a weird way this is kind of like a renaissance for everybody i have i have hope
3: i think that's all we can really say for now just have hope even though borders are closing down ironically we seem to be more connected and caring about Everyone else at the moment, so uh, that is in itself a silver lining. Simon, what
1: are you going to do for um, Gay Uncle's Day?
3: So being home, I was obviously planning on going to see my niece, nephews, and my family. But given that I live in Sydney and they don't, um, and my my mother's age, I think it will be a Skype. Back to the Skype calls, <laughs> um, just because I don't want to be the reason why coronavirus or something like that were to head out to rural. New South Wales, Um, so it would be back to to square one, it seems. And yourselves, what are you guys up to? Probably this? More of this.
1: (laughs) Actually, um, right around then, I think Ben and I might be in the same place.
0: Oh, that's right. If all else works, we're gonna all kind of get tested and quarantine and then head to our family's beach house in North Carolina and spend a little, like a week down there.
3: That, that, that sounds terrible for you guys. It must Right. right.
0: <laughs>
3: you must be dreading dreading the thought of it.
0: We'll take a picture on the beach and we'll send it to you.
3: Please do. All
0: right. Well, happy Gay Uncles Day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast, Simon. It's an honor to
3: have you. Yay. Yeah, I hope everyone has a great Gay Uncles Day. <laughs> thank you for having me.
1: And Simon, thank you so much for uh, spending time with us. everybody thanks for thanks for being with us for another episode of ask your gay uncle and remember take time to breathe yeah and go to bed at 10 (laughs) p.m no
0: don't do that go to bed when you're tired watch out for the rowers thumping
1: on your door
0: or maybe just purposefully stay in bed so those rowers come thump on your door (laughs) i want
1: eight rowers to be thumping on my door in the morning
2: Ask Your Gay Uncle is created by Tom Truss and Ben Palacios, with production support by me, Jackie Anders. Album artwork by Seth Shellhouse. Theme song and musical interludes by Ben Palacios and Dan Reuter. Special thanks to Matt Marr, the University of Texas at Austin QT Voices, and everyone who sent us questions. If you'd like to ask a question for Tommy and Ben to answer on the podcast, leave us a message at 512-981-7332 or email ask at askyourgayuncle.com. Find us on Facebook at Ask Your Gay Uncle Podcast. More information at askyourgayuncle.com.